Several times a year, Northern Seminary hosts an event called Taste of Northern, where anyone can experience Northern classes for free and with no strings attached. The next event will be held this month, February 20th to 21st or 23rd. You can actually attend any of the classes virtually from the comfort of your own home. It's a great way to see if Northern is a place for you as you consider further education. So we just want to invite you to check out the courses offered and sign up. And you can do that by visiting seminary.edu forward slash taste. From Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity, this is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I am one of your co-hosts, Tara Beth Leach. And I'm Mark Quanstrom, and uh, we are here talking about what it means to pastor. And what we've been talking about the last uh, episodes, the last eight episodes, has been the incarnation, the implication of the incarnation, because the pastor's table is about living out the implications of our theological commitments. Um, we're driven too much by pragmatism or utilitarianism. Um, we don't necessarily think theologically first, by virtue of the institutional pressures that we live with. So the pastor's table is calling us back to uh, working, doing church out of a theological vision. And we started with incarnation because that's the beginning of the Christian faith. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. God inhabited human, a human person in first century Palestine with a specific name. And that has profound implications. I mean, all the rest of Christian theology is a footnote to the Word became flesh. And so we're talking about incarnation. And in the last episodes, it led probably inevitably, um, pretty naturally, into conversation about church, about ecclesiology. Uh, How do we do church in light of the incarnation? Um, But we want to return to the significance of God as incarnate, for the pastor, what does it mean for the pastor who is doing the Lord's work to follow an incarnate Lord, a God-made flesh? And that's what we're going to talk about today and next week with Beth Felker-Jones. So we're talking today about pastoral identity in the context of incarnation. And I think it's really important when we think about the incarnation uh, as pastors and the implications for pastoral ministry and how we think about the humanity of Jesus. And, you know, Mark, before this episode started, we were talking about how sometimes we can get a little squeamish, squirmy when when we talk about just, I mean, just exactly, exactly how human is he? To what degree of human? I think we're inclined to be a bit docetic. Doceticism was the ancient heresy that... uh, denied the full humanity of Jesus. And you're right, we get a little anxious when we get talking about the Savior as fully human. Mm-hmm. Uh, did did he Was he ever depressed? Mm-hmm. Did he ever wonder if he was truly the Son of God? Mm-hmm. Um, could he have sinned? Could he have if sinned? If he wanted to. Were the temptations real? Mm-hmm. Um, did he ever have a crisis of faith? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Beth Falco Jones talked in a podcast several weeks ago about did, did could he be smelled? <laughs> did he have an odor? Those kinds of things make us nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the reasons the first century follow the first century folk didn't follow Jesus. God could not look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. God was not that human. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we follow an incarnate God. Uh, that should be liberating to us. Mm-hmm. It should give us all kinds of permission. It really should, because I think especially for pastors, we don't like to even embrace our own humanity and our own limitations. We get squirmy with that. Because as pastors, we ought to be the one that can keep it together, that can hold it together, that can carry and shoulder the mantles of these churches that we should be able to resolve every situation that we should be able to resolve every situation uh, reconcile the brokenness uh, churches that are in decline well we should be able to find the right levers to to turn it around um, we shouldn't show weakness pastors have to have it all together you said that earlier. Pastors have to have it all yes. together. They're looking to us. Mm-hmm. We are the model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we dare not show too much of our own humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, something not often talk, talked about is, you know, when we were navigating the pandemic as pastors and our uh. congregations were scared, we were scared. We didn't know. We were uncertain. Uh, we didn't have the answers. Uh, we didn't know what to do. We were. I was making it up as I went along. I have a coffee cup in my office that says "Making it up as I go along," just to remind myself mm-hmm. uh, that uh, and that that so much of what we do is in is innovation, is yeah. improv. We've never, who, who did church in, during a pandemic before? I, mm-hmm. No one taught me how to do church during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I was just hoping that the decisions we were making were the right ones. Right. And whether or not they were the right ones was contingent on how they turned out. Mm-hmm. But we, we were afraid to show that we didn't know. We were afraid to show those signs of weakness. We are inclined to show that. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. We And we don't like coming to terms with our limitations. I think as pastors especially, we don't like to admit that we don't know everything. And we don't often like to admit that um, that we experience hurt. We don't often like to admit that, that we don't know what the church is going to look like 10 years from now. We don't know what it's going to look like a week from now. I don't even know what I'm preaching next. Uh, Mark, do you know your sermon? What it's going to be in a few days? <laughs> there, I, I, I look at, I look, I marvel at pastors who schedule their sermons out a half a year. I marvel at pastors who take retreats and ha- are so in tune with the Holy Spirit that they know what they're going to preach three months from now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm preaching this Sunday. Yeah, I, I know the text. I think I have a beginning. There you go. Sometimes when I start my message, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to end. Yeah. I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm like Michael, who's in the office. I started, sometimes I start a sentence and I don't even know where I'm going to end. Every now and then I look at a message that I've written. I'm going, wow, that is not where I thought this was coming up. <laughs> but have you ever looked at a message and thought, 
Did I write that? Because that's really good. Oh, I do. Well, <laughs> some, yes. I I'll mean, occasionally yes. we have those moments. We have yes, those moments. We do. But, you know, so well, back to this weakness part, I think this is really hard. And, you know, I we all have our unique ways of navigating that. But I've been thinking a lot about that experience for me. All right. Uh, and especially as a woman. Okay. So, you know, women, I think there's this, this double-edged sword where we want to be strong leaders. Uh, we want to be perceived as strong leaders. Right. And we don't want to show weakness, but we want to be vulnerable. But if we're too vulnerable, then it's, you know, it's, it's going to show weakness and, and we don't want to be too emotional, right? There's just so many layers to this. Right. And there, I, I'm reminded of a conversation where I really browbeat myself. All right. Um, it was with, with another pastor, and this pastor was disappointed in me. In you? Disappointed in you? He was disappointed All in right. me and felt like that my head was not in the game. And it was actually, it was a very, very painful conversation. There were some some things said that were hurtful that I don't think actually, I mean, I think both of us, if we were to circle back to that conversation now later, we would say we both said some things that we weren't proud of. Okay. Um, Pastors don't have permission to do that, you know. Mm -mm, right, right. But things were said that were so hurtful to me and so personal to me that I sobbed all the way through. I mean, mm. Mark... It was an ugly cry. I was pulling Kleenex after Kleenex after Kleenex, and I was, it was such a hard conversation. I was doubting my self-worth. I was, I was doubting my call. I was doubting all the work that I had done leading up to that point. It was an ugly cry. And I left the room, and I felt mortified. Because? I felt ashamed that he saw me cry like that. I felt so embarrassed because I thought there, I, there, there we go again. I am the emotional woman. You're too and emotional, I, Tara Beth. I'm too emotional. I'm too emotional. You've I'm, been told that more than once, which is really unfair. I have, I have, and so there's just this this dance, even with just what it means to be an embodied female who pastors, and I think that especially that. We are really, really tenderly afraid of showing weakness, but isn't embracing our weakness and embracing our limitations and embracing our emo emotions, isn't that what we ought to be doing? So, I do, so yes, I think women uh, pastors have a particular burden for sure. Um, I think... a. Uh, um, um, a guy's translation of that dynamic would be, we can never let anybody see us sweat. Hmm. We can never let anybody see us yes. anxious. Right. Uh, we really do have to have it together mm -hmm. as pastors, mm -hmm. right? And I think there's, I mean, I do think there's wisdom in, <laughs> sure. you know, I think there's wisdom when, when we're leading people to not show all of our cards, right? right. I think, you know, yeah. because don't scare the kids. Right. <laughs> don't scare the kids. That. And so I, I have to wonder that, no, I'm not talking now just about 
women in ministry. I'm talking about pastors. There's, we live in such just a a fast driving um, demand for performance and excellence. Pastor as CEO, uh, pastor as polished leader, that by golly, we ought never to show weakness. We ought never to shed a tear. We ought never um, to not know. But I, I, I just wonder, <laughs> as we think about that, Mark, did Jesus ever not know what to do in hard moments? Did, did Jesus weep? Jesus was omniscient. He always knew what to do. Mm. Jesus didn't have to learn to read. He oh knew boy. how to read from the womb. <laughs> oh no. Right? Oh. Jesus didn't have to learn to walk. Jesus knew Hebrew in, in, as an embryo, right? Did Jesus ever not know? Uh, yeah. Of course he of course he could not know at times if he was fully human. That's right. Uh so the mystery of the incarnation is that he was fully God as fully human. Right. And his deity did not add to his humanity, augment his humanity. His humanity did not diminish his deity. Mm-hmm. The mystery of the incarnation is that Jesus' humanity did not compromise his deity, and his deity did not, again, augment his humanity. That's the mystery of the incarnation. That's the that's the source of salvation. So I mean, that's the heart of our salvation, that God was fully human in all of all of in all of that humanness. Mm-hmm. So you're asking the question, could Jesus did, did Jesus ever not know? Uh, did Jesus know that God was going to mandate the crucifixion? Did Jesus not know that he was going to be crucified when he prayed for the cross to be taken from him? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, Following a human Christ means that we don't have to be, we don't have to forsake our humanity to be pastors. Whoa, can you just say that again? Because, I mean, we need to embolden that, highlight that, and our pastors and our listeners need to hear that again. We don't need to forsake our humanity to be pastors. And by what that, what I mean by that is what it, what I'm, what needs to be meant by that is we have a right to feel, we have a right to be ignorant, we have a right to be confused, we have a right to have a crisis of faith even as pastors. Mm. Do we have a right to fail? Um, It depends on what our trajectory is. We don't have a right to fail if we think our justification or our vindication is success. We only have a right to fail if we're following a a Savior who was crucified. We only have a right to fail if God is our vindication. We only have a right to fail if God is our justification. So, uh, crisis. uh, So, can. uh, All right. So, turn you off because it's just so good. No, no, no. (laughs) Let's let this be organic. Let's talk about this. So, let me. I'll ask you a question. Do you ever get up and preach a sermon? thinking that you are as hypocritical as you could possibly be because you're not fulfilling what you're calling your people to do. Absolutely. Of course we do. Mm-hmm. That's why we have to preach confessionally. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's why we always have to preach confessionally. Yep. And honestly, and, and, and confess, yes. hey, I'm working this out. The Lord as well. is talking. I'm, I'm working this out with fear and trembling right there. I'm in the trenches with you. The, the Lord mm-hmm. spoke to me all week long about this sermon. Mm-hmm. He's been working me over all week, uh-huh. folks. 
I remember one time I preached a sermon on forgiveness and I preached through that sermon the whole time. Do you know that I had one person's name on my mind the entire time that the next, I could hardly sleep that Sunday night, Monday morning rolled around and it was just nagging. And I thought, my goodness, the spirit is not going to let this one go. And I picked up that phone and I began the work of reconciliation and forgiveness. Because you preached on forgiveness. I preached on forgiveness, and I felt like you have no biggest th- hypocrite. You have no authority to preach on forgiveness un- unless unless all your accounts are in order. <laughs> right, yes. No, we have to yeah. have it all together yeah. before we can preach. Right. Now, fortunately, the early church uh, helped us here. In the Donatist controversy, um, the Donatists were separatists and Puritans, and they said that the sacrament wasn't efficacious if the priest was unholy. And Augustine mm-hmm. rejected it and said, no, the sacrament's efficacy is not contingent on the righteousness of the one serving the sacrament. That's the Donatist controversy. We are subject to it still. If my messages on Sunday morning were contingent on my righteousness, for the Lord to work through them, I would never preach a sermon. I could never preach a sermon. Right. Um, So uh, it is the case that the Lord works me over prior to preaching, and it is the case that sometimes in the middle of my preaching, I am very aware of what I have to do in response to my own message. Me too. Me too. And, you know, some of the most effective sermons are when we're preaching to ourselves. Pastors are often preaching to um, themselves. I'm usually preaching to myself. Yeah, we, we often are because we're working through things as well. And I, you know, I can't help but hear Paul. So what does that mean? We just go on sinning so that grace may abound. You know, I've, at the Wesleyan in me is, you know, saying, and yet we, we pursue righteousness. Uh, we pursue holiness. So my own interpretation of my call is that the Lord called me into ministry because he knew it was the only way I would be saved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that the Lord was yeah. going to have to pay me to get to heaven <laughs> because I wasn't going to get there any other yeah. way. Yeah. Right? He had to pay me to go to church. He's got to pay me to pray. Mm. So uh, the Lord didn't call me into ministry because I had so much to offer. The Lord called me into ministry because he knew the only way I was going to follow him mm. was if he immersed me in the life of the church by virtue of my calling. Yeah. I promise you I am a better follower of Christ because I'm a pastor mm-hmm. than I would be. I look at laymen who come to church for free oh, and I just yeah. marvel at it. I thought, well, gee, gee whiz, um, I'd be hard pressed to be as devout as, as, as some of the laymen are. It is no credit to me that I'm a pastor. This is the Lord's idea. So back to the point, we have permission to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as pastors. Mm-hmm. And I think some of what our people are needing to see is that, that, that we are working it out too. A pastor who has it all together always is not is not helpful to people who don't have it all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A pastor who reveals judiciously, discreetly, some of the struggles they're having is a pastor who can be identified with, is a pastor whose people will then talk to mm-hmm. about their own struggles. Mm-hmm. Because the pastor is not the savior. 
Well, that's the other issue here. Um, Messiah complex is a thing. It is. Um, and the pastor isn't the savior. The mm -hmm. pastor points to the savior, mm -hmm. and the pastor probably can point to the savior best by confessing their own need of a savior. Mm -hmm. It is the case that pastors many times serve up a savior to their people and deny the savior for themselves. Mm -hmm. I need the Lord to be saving me today. I need, I need the Lord to be redeeming me today. Mm -hmm. I need the Lord to be convicting me today. I need the Lord to hear my prayer of confession today. Um, we are not conduits of the savior. We are, we are, we are modeling what it means to follow a Savior. We are modeling what it means to need a Savior. Now, that doesn't mean that we get up on Sunday morning and bleed all over our con congregation. Mm -hmm. uh, but it does mean that we are real. We are authentic. Mm -hmm. It does mean that we can be confessional. Mm -hmm. um, it is helpful to our people to have a pastor who doesn't have it all together mm -hmm. because it gives them permission to not That's have right. it all together. So I'm, I don't know when I learned this. It might be my own stubbornness that I insisted on it. But I remember in seminary um, being existentially challenged uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I was taking this course uh, taught by Dr. Al Truesdale, a dear friend of mine, uh, uh, other religions. And his strategy in that course was not to say, oh, look at how stupid these other religions are. His strategy was to advocate for those other religions. So we went to a synagogue, a reformed synagogue for church. We went to um, a, a, a mosque. We had a, a rabbi come to our class and say to us, I don't know why you Christians don't leave us Jews alone. Do you know what I hear when I hear the word evangelism? I hear the sound of jackboots marching in the streets, said this rabbi to us 23-year-old kids preparing for the ministry. I left that class not knowing if I could believe the claim of the Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hmm. And I went for a while not certain that I could be a follower of Jesus as a seminarian. Now, the whole time I'm a seminarian, I'm teaching eighth grade Sunday school on Sunday mornings to wow. students, right? Wow. And I don't believe Monday through Saturday. And I am such a hypocrite. But I go to church on Sunday and I see these these eighth graders, these 14-year-olds, these 15-year-olds looking to me to see if they follow Jesus. I promise you, on Sundays, I was a believer. Hmm. And it wasn't posture. I could not believe on Sundays. Monday through Saturday, I didn't know what I was believing. But on Sunday, among the community of faith, with those kids, I believed in Jesus with all my heart. And I taught those kids with all my heart. Wow. I don't know that anybody has permission to wrestle with their faith like that. Um, I don't. I don't know that we're usually given permission. Israel does mean to wrestle. Mm -hmm. Jacob was given the name Israel because he wrestled with God, and I think it might be helpful to our people to know that this God of ours is uh, worthy to be wrestled with, and that we certainly do not have all the answers. And it's also the case that my involvement in the local church saved my faith. Um, I came out of that uh, with some very profound encounters with my Lord. I can claim Jesus as the Christ, and I can tell that story on, on another occasion. But it is, it is not helpful to our people 
or to us, to deny the vicissitudes of life, it is not helpful to us to deny our own humanity. I probably shouldn't say this, uh, but most mornings I wake up despondent. Hmm. I'm a pretty chip. I'm a pretty cheery guy. I love life. I love my job. I love my church. I love my people. But the weight of pastoral ministry results in me waking up most mornings despondent, Mm -hmm. not looking forward to the day. Mm -hmm. Do we as followers of Jesus Christ have a right to be depressed, despondent? Was Jesus ever? Thinking he was. But the incarnation of our Lord gives us permission to be fully human as well. So you wept in front of this pastor as a woman revealing your your tenderness, Mm -hmm. and you were ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Christ was ashamed at weeping at Lazarus' tomb. Wow. Yeah, and it's a good... It's such an important reminder because how many pastors, how many humans are listening right now who just said to themselves, there's mornings at Reverend Dr. Mark Quanstrom doesn't want to get out of bed? You mean he's like me? What saves me is going to work. Yeah. So the, the I, I don't have an option to not go. Mm-hmm. So uh, Debbie knows this really well. She lives with it. Um, I, I used to think there was something wrong with me. I need to have more faith. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You should have more faith, right? <sighs> Uh, fortunately, Jesus gave us permission to have faith as small as a mustard seed, right? Yeah. So we don't have to have a whole lot of faith. Uh, going to work every day is is my faith expression. Yeah. My preaching on Sunday, when I don't want to, is my faith expression. I think what you're saying is that it's okay. It's really, really okay. And that it's the most human experience to not be okay. Because that we're not. We're not. We're not okay. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. And you know, Mark, I, I can remember Sundays when I was pastoring in Pasadena um, in some of the most tumultuous times. <sighs> Standing there in the front row, being led into worship and thinking, do I believe these words that I'm singing right now? Right. And leaning on the congregation and needing them Correct. to sing those songs for me Correct. and just clinging to the voices of what you've called a covenantal community. Right. We were a covenantal community of clinging to the voices. I needed them to sing those songs for me to increase my faith. Correct. I come to church needing the testimony of my people so that I can believe it. Yeah. We need each other. Yeah. Yeah. We, oh boy, I sure do. I mm-hmm. I can't do church without my people. Mm-hmm. I can't do church without them testifying in by showing up that they still believe. I still believe because they do. Those eighth grade, those eighth graders saved my faith. I could not not believe because of them. As That's... as hard as the struggle was. That's what the incarnation gives us. It gives us permission to be fully human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fully human, together, arm in arm, leaning on one another, and opening ourselves up to the one Savior, King Jesus. Uh, and I think that's the vision of the church. That's the vision. Correct. That's why you and I 
believe in this so much. It's why we're hopeful because it's about a gathered people. Who are testifying to each other the truth of the faith. Confessing to their Lord for sure, but testifying to each other that they believe. So this faith journey is never not a journey. I'm still on it. Terry Beth, you're still on it? Uh, last time I checked, I have not arrived. You've not arrived yet? No, not made it to shore you yet. You still don't have all the answers? I don't. I don't. Maybe tomorrow. Check tomorrow. back. Oh, you have all the answers tomorrow. Yeah, oh, tomorrow. I am so looking forward to talking yeah. to you tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, next week, next week, Dr. Beth Felker-Jones is going to help us understand the profound implications of the incarnation of Christ for the identity of the pastor. We're going to ask, I'm going to press, we're going to press mm -hmm. Dr. Jones on just how human was Jesus. And then for that reason, what do we have permission to be? That's right. We, we're going to go deep. Uh, you know, we've, we've not been messing around in this podcast. We're, we're talking about a lot of hard things on this podcast, some heavy things, because we're trying to work this out with fear and trembling, um, with our eyes on Jesus and a hope and love for his bride. And so if, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, would you subscribe to this podcast? We, we'd love for you to continue on and, and join in the conversation. Maybe you want to share this with a friend or another pastor that you think will need this kind of encouragement today. And also extend the conversation with us. Join us. Um, go to thepastorstable.com and we, we want to hear about your experience in ministry. Um, we really read uh, those responses. It, it helps uh, shape our imagination mm -hmm. and understanding of your context because we can't possibly know or understand your context. So we want to know. We want to hear from you. Uh, so join us um, in this conversation. And may you be blessed, truly, as you serve faithfully in the gift of ministry that God has provided you. 